Hello, my name is Evie Martin. I'm the lead pastor here at Platwoods Church, and thank you for joining us for worship today. We are starting a new sermon series today called Where is the Joy? And I'm going to show my cards just a little bit here. We find joy not by ourselves. We find joy when we are connected with other people. And so in this season, at the beginning of a new year, at the beginning of a new series, we are launching grow groups. These are small groups that everyone can be a part of. And I would love to invite you to connect with a grow group, to work through some of these thoughts and questions and ideas together in community with other people. You can do that by going to the link below on our website, looking at the times um, and the dates of those grow groups, clicking on one and saying, hey, I'm interested. Someone will reach out to you and we would love to include you in our grow group ministry. The day after Christmas, the world said farewell to one of the great spiritual leaders of our time, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. He was one of those humans who, when I look at his life, his impact, his legacy, I think how lucky we are just to have walked this planet at the same time in history. Archbishop Tutu was a figurehead and a voice of justice in South Africa's movement out of apartheid. He lived through hardship, violence, the oppression of black South Africans, the frustrations of trying to lead a nonviolent revolution. The atrocities he has seen and survived are unimaginable to most of our minds. And yet, the pictures and stories flooding the news after his death are filled with his smile, his eyes that illuminate a room, his iconic, contagious cackle that flowed so freely in his interactions with everyone he met. People who encountered him in this life tell consistent stories of Archbishop Tutu as a person who showed up in every moment as joyful. Regardless of his circumstances, the experiences he endured, the pain that marked his life, he exuded joy in all things, and the world noticed. Here we are at the bottom of the Christmas and New Year's avalanche. <laughs> the lights and trees have come down. Well, most of them, mine hasn't yet. The cookies are all gone. Family has come and gone. Resolutions have been made and some of them are already broken. <laughs> and the rat race begins again. Just last Sunday, we were singing joy to the world. And two weeks ago, we were glowing in the angel's proclamation to the shepherds that behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. The coming of Christ, God's love in the flesh into the muck and mire of humanity is pure joy. It is reason for hope and light. And yet here in the second week of January, the time of year with the highest rates of seasonal affective disorder and the return to schedules and work and patterns that we hoped might magically change with the new year, the lingering, languishing effects of nearly two years of COVID, we might find ourselves feeling a lot less joyful than we'd like to admit. The good news is, if that describes you, you're not alone. And over these next few weeks, I hope this sermon series will help us reclaim the joy of Christ, even in the everyday, ordinary January things. In the Gospel of John, 
Jesus defines his reason for dwelling among us, making his home here with us. He says, I came so that they could have life, indeed, so that they could live life to the fullest. Other translations use the word abundant, so that they could have abundant life. This verse is a guiding verse for us throughout this series. It's one you could put to memory if you don't already know it. Our pursuit of joy in Christ is because he desires for our lives to be full. Over these next few weeks, we'll ask the same question. Where is the joy? Where is the joy in our daily grind? Where is the joy in our health? In times when we're hurt and in grief? This is not meant to be a Pollyanna pursuit. We're not seeking joy by denying that life is hard, that pain is real, that depression and suffering affect us all. This isn't a fleeting feel-good solution we're after. Quite the opposite, in fact. We're seeking the joy that Desmond Tutu and others like him have. The joy of Christ that runs deep and then overflows, even in the midst of all that we struggle with in life. This is deeper, more difficult work, I think, but it is the work that makes our lives full in the way that Jesus desires. We have to begin by putting some kind of definition to what it is we mean by joy. What is joy and what is it not? We often think of joy and happiness as the same thing. We even use those words interchangeably. But most psychologists and spiritual leaders will distinguish between the two. They are related, but here are a few important caveats. When we think of happiness, happiness is dependent upon external circumstances, things outside of us or things that are happening to us, things like money, our possessions might make us happy or we think they will, our location, where we are in life, our, our relationships, other people outside of us, our work. Joy is independent of our circumstances. Doesn't matter what's happening externally. Happiness has to do with pleasure for ourselves, things that make us feel good. Joy has more to do with contentment that includes others. Happiness is an outward expression. It's a feeling. You can see it when people are happy. Joy is more of an inner state. It's always there, regardless of what our outward feelings are. And in that way, we can think of happiness sort of like a river, something that flows out of us that can be seen, but joy then is the reservoir from where that comes. Happiness is a part of joy, but joy encompasses a whole list of other emotions too, things like pleasure, amusement, contentment, excitement, relief, wonder, bliss, elevation, pride when it's on someone else's behalf, gratitude, delight, in the Book of Joy, which is a dialogue between Archbishop Desmond Tutu and His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, I highly recommend this book, by the way, as an accompaniment to this whole series, but in this book, the definition that seems to encompass joy most clearly is this. Lasting joy, joy as a way of being, is the shining contentment or the spiritual radiance born from deep well-being and benevolence. 
The image of the reservoir rings true for me, that deep source within us from which we continue to draw life. That place where as Christians, we believe the spirit of God animates and enlivens us to the point that whatever else is happening around us or to us, we can at a foundational level in our soul say, I am well because God is near. I am well because God is near. That sounds pretty profound and honestly, maybe even impossible, given how you might be feeling about life today. I certainly don't have that kind of reservoir in my life yet, but many faithful people do. I believe some of you do. And you have much to teach those in your small groups and in your spiritual family about this reservoir of joy. And that really is the hope of this series, that we can develop practices together to move us through our current circumstances, whatever they are, into that deeper place of joy. We won't arrive there in an hour, but I do believe because we have seen others live lives of joy that time and intention will bring us along. So as we look out at the landscape of these winter months before us, are there signs of life, spots of color and brilliance that are springing up from a reservoir deep below the surface in spite of what might look like bleak surroundings? As we turn our attention back toward work, maybe a job you don't love or where you don't feel appreciated, where the pace drives your blood pressure up and you feel like you're never quite done, or as we head back to school into what might be a difficult semester, as we face the 11th load of laundry in two days and offspring that seem endlessly ungrateful, as our rhythm of normal life resumes, we ask the question, where is the joy in our daily grind. Work and stress are practically the hallmarks of American life these days. Whether you're being compensated for your work and stress or not, we seem to have normalized being busy with something all the time and living with high levels of stress because we're always running and the work is never done. Where is the joy in the day in and day out of this way of life? Oddly enough, in many ways, COVID called this entire way of life into question for us. We had a brief moment to collectively consider our patterns and our priorities. A lot of people made big changes, reoriented their lives toward what was most important to them. Many of us vowed to do things differently even after the pandemic had passed. But then here we are, still smack in the middle of it, and I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people already lamenting how quickly we've fallen back into the old habits of full schedules and relentless work that sometimes feels meaningless. In a ridiculous moment of irony this week, I found myself in this sermon that I'm trying to preach after five days off, recovering from an Advent season and an amazing Christmas Eve marathon, I faced Monday morning with yet another Sunday coming. They are relentless. And my kids didn't have school. 
So I woke up already overwhelmed at what the day before me held, the pressure of being present for my kids on their last day of holiday break, making it fun, getting outside to play in the snow, plus catching up on the work that always piles up when we take time off, plus shifting gears into this brand new sermon series, which needed a lot of prep work, plus piles of laundry from our trip and the weeks prior. I could tell it was going to be one of those days where I would try to do everything and not do any of it well. The morning was rough. My temper was short with the kids. I couldn't formulate a plan. It was one of those situations where there were so many things that needed to be done, I couldn't do any of them. I was stressed out. And finally, after I had waded through my emails and couldn't in good conscience let the boys have any more screen time, I barked out orders to load up into the car. We had groceries to pick up, which I didn't tell them until we were already at curbside, but I pacified their protests by promising to go play in the snow at the park. I fought back my inner anxiety at how little of this sermon I had begun to outline, and we drove to English Landing Park. I set the boys to work, building snow people, and I walked the perimeter of the field listening to the podcast I had queued up for my sermon research. As I listened to Reverend Jackie Lewis and Lisa Sharon Harper talk about finding joy purposefully, I looked across the sunny snowscape to my kids gleefully rolling balls of snow around and around to build their masterpiece, their minds free from stress, their happiness glowing in their rosy cheeks and dripping from their soggy mittens. I looked out across the icy flow of the Missouri River and breathed in deeply. I stopped at a giant tree and took off my glove to feel the spongy moss growing on the shady side and my heart rate slowed. My forehead relaxed, my spirit and my face smiled as the kids' shouts ricocheted off the snow. Mama, come see. My work was not done. (laughs) I was way behind on writing. My stress didn't disappear altogether. It would rematerialize quickly. But for an hour, I was able to draw from some deeper well, a place of joy, I think, I was able to see the important things in front of me and recognize that I was well and that God was near in the laughter, in the moss, in the slush beneath our feet. Somehow, in the daily grind of work and stress, joy emerged long enough for me to recognize it and grab hold. I wish I could tell you every day turned out like that. Some do. Most don't, but I at least believe it is possible to wrangle joy out of the work and the stress and the chaos of our daily lives. And maybe the more little joy stories like this that we share with one another, the more easily we can recognize and claim it in our own lives. The levels of stress that we maintain in our lives are without a doubt largely unhealthy. Stress takes its toll on us physically, socially, mentally. We all know by now that we need to actively find ways to reduce stress in our lives. But in the midst of that movement toward stress reduction, we can also fill our reservoir of joy by paying attention to what our stress reveals for us. That might sound strange, but think about it. Stress happens because we care about something. Stress is an indicator of something that matters to us. 
Now, whether that thing should matter to us or not is a different question. But when we are experiencing stress, we have an opportunity to transform it by stopping to look at it objectively for a moment. I'm feeling stressed about writing this sermon. Why? Because I care about this congregation and what words will help them and what words won't. I am stressed about my kids. Why? because I care about their experience of childhood. I want it to be fun and safe and fulfilling. I am stressed about the piles of laundry in my house. Why? <laughs> because I care about my house not being a disaster and also wearing clean clothes. All of these cares are not equal. Feeling the stress and stepping back to examine it though, give me the chance to assess what I care about and why. And then I adjust if I so choose. At the very least, the feeling of stress itself can be a moment of joy because we can say, I am lucky to have these things to care about. Maybe your stress is fueled by work. What is it that you care about in your work? And is it what you want to care about? Maybe your stress is rooted in money, wanting more of it or needing more of it. What cares does that reveal for you? Maybe your stress comes from a relationship. You care what is happening between you and someone else, but you can't necessarily control it. I think our stress can turn us toward that inner state of joy when we can determine what the care is that lies underneath and whether it's one we still want to carry or if it's one we need to let go. The opposite problem also exists when it comes to our daily work. Sometimes it's not the source of stress because we care about it, it's a source of despair because we feel like nobody cares about it. When our day-to-day -day feels monotonous, when no one seems to notice what we do or thank us for it, when the dishes are washed and put away for the 7,000th time, when the spreadsheets and reports get buried at the bottom of the boss's inbox, when the students continue to act out and the parents never say thank you, when the project gets canceled and months of preparation are washed down the drain, we might find ourselves wondering, what on earth am I doing? And does it even matter? These are the places where joy is so hard to find. The circumstances around us threaten to squelch any feelings of happiness or delight we might muster. And yet, throughout the ages, humans have managed to live joyfully, even in a barren landscape, in a life that seemed otherwise mundane. There's a powerful verse in the book of Colossians. It's, it's a tricky one because Paul is addressing people living lives of servitude while he sits in a place of privilege. And we must always read and interpret carefully when power is not equitable. The people he addresses are stuck in a working situation that they will probably never get out of. They don't have the luxury of working for personal fulfillment. Their work is purely for the sake of someone else, and it may remain that way their entire lives. As a word of encouragement to them, Paul intends to give them a way to make meaning out of their work. And he says in Colossians 3, whatever you do, do it from the heart for the Lord, and not for people. He's challenging them to change their perspective on who their work is for. 
If the humans who are asking this work of you aren't going to notice or appreciate it, you have to do it for another reason, in order to find that deep well of joy. Do your work as if it's for the Lord. The Lord will always take note of what you do. It does not go unseen or unnoticed. The Lord is always near. There's a lot more potential for joy and contentment in our work when it's not dependent on whether it is noticed or appreciated by other people. There's a monastic order in the Catholic Church known as the Benedictines, who for hundreds of years have tapped into this simple truth about work. One of their rules of life together is, in Latin, ora et labora. In English, that means prayer and work. The Benedictine conviction is that they are one and the same. Our prayer is our work, and our work is our prayer. Every potato they dug up from the field was seen by God. Every bowl of soup served for a brother was an offering. The work of our hands, the repetition of the work it takes to get through each day is itself an act of prayer. With an intention in our perspective, every seemingly mundane act of work in our daily lives can be given over to God and offered up as prayer. What might that look like in your life? Prayer as 15 changed diapers? Prayer as client notes completed? Prayer as a hard conversation with a colleague? Prayer as socks matched and folded? Prayer as emails sent or filed? It may seem too simple, but when we devote our work to the Lord, it, it brings him into our daily life minute by minute. And it deepens our reservoir of joy as we align our purpose in Christ, not in human measures. Finally, it's important to remember, especially here at the start of the year, we were not created merely for work and the stress it might bring. It is a gift, yes, that brings order and sometimes good meaning to our life, but it is not our greatest purpose. So for all the ways the daily grind of work may wear us down and increase our stress, there is a biblical practice to restore our souls and refill our reservoirs of joy. From the very beginning, in Genesis, we see God busy at the beautiful work of creation. And then, right into the fabric of our origin story, God weaves rest. Rest, not just to recover from work, though we certainly need it for that, but rest to reflect and delight in goodness. Remember? God looked around at all that God had made and saw how good it was. Rest is intended for us to revel in goodness, to bring us joy. When we do not allow our minds and our bodies and souls to rest, we lose our capacity to see goodness. And when we lose our capacity to see goodness, how can we possibly draw from a reservoir of joy? It is not always easy to find rest for ourselves. Life is full of struggle and the rat race never really stops. 
But the wisdom of Jesus sees this throughout the ages, and he himself, as the promise of joy living and walking among us, offers rest to us. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says specifically, Come to me, all you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Maybe this moment right now is the only sliver of rest you can carve out this week. Sit and breathe deeply in it. May the Spirit of God fill you and meet the needs of your heart. But as this year swings into full tilt, where else can you begin to practice rest? Rest from your work. Rest to notice what is good. Rest by putting away your phone for an hour. Rest to walk around and touch the moss on trees or look at the river or watch the birds in their winter bustle. Rest to listen for the whisper of God. Rest to laugh with a child who thinks everything is funny. Rest to hold the hand of someone you love. Rest to listen to music that moves you. The daily grind of work and stress can feel intimidating and joy feels so far out of reach sometimes. But it may be closer than we think if we can draw our attention to what we really care about Offer up our work as prayer to the Lord and be diligent in resting regularly and in the goodness of God. Will you pray with me? God of abundant life, each one of us here sits in the mix of a different set of circumstances. Some of us are comfortable, some of us are struggling, some of us are deeply joyful. Some of us feel close to despair. You know exactly where we are, and your spirit hovers near. In these days ahead, in the work that fills our lives, in the stress that weighs on our spirits, make your presence palpable to us. Open our hearts as reservoirs to be filled with the assurance that you are near, that we are well, that we are loved by you. When we are weary and carrying loads that are too heavy, give us rest. And in our rest, restore us. May we see your goodness all around and may we fill up and overflow with the joy that only comes from you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our abundant life. Amen.